So here we are for episode five of the Wound Masterclass podcast. And we're delighted that you've decided to return to join us for this fantastic session. Today's topic is actually on the future of 3D printing in wound care. And as you know, the first four uh, podcasts we had were actually... Um, had a really good engagement with those and episode one was with Harm Schmidt from the Netherlands and it was basically discussing myths and misconceptions in wound care. Episode two was how to bring innovation into your wound care practice and that was with Wendy Cole, Martin Johnson and that was a really good session on how to choose which innovations you bring into clinical practice and how to decide um, the next one which was episode four, was actually by Dr. Caroline Fife and Frank Aviles. And that was a really interesting session because it was looking at new theories behind development of pressure injuries, looking at the sort of inside out theories instead of the outside in. Um, so if you get a chance to listen to that one, um, please do, because that was, yeah, that was a really enjoyable one. In our December issue, we published the future of 3D printed biofilms for in vitro and in vivo wound infection models. And it was a really interesting paper, actually, because it looked at a little bit about where we've been in terms of 3D printing and also what the future is. Talked a little bit about how you can develop a three-dimensional printed biofilm model for wound infection, so recreating that in a 3D model uh, and understanding a little bit more about biofilm and biofilm removal and looking at the ideal assay to study mature biofilms in a high throughput screen which would be reproducible and started really with looking at you know chronic wounds are such a significant financial burden on the healthcare system and they affect not only quality of life of the patient they affect our professional lives as wound care clinicians looking after these patients because the hard to heal wound um, patient has multiple clinic visits, a lot of intervention, a lot of clinical time and effort. So I think anything that really tries to help us understand what's actually going on in the wound in a, in a three-dimensional manner helps us visualize how to challenge biofilms, how to get rid of this really difficult issue and, oh, you know, improves our clinical care. So it's work done in the laboratory, but it's work that eventually has a significant clinical impact on how we practice and how our patients do. 3D bioprinting is uh, quite a complex topic, I think, for clinicians in wound care. I think to some extent, a lot of us do understand what 3D printing is. And then you introduced 3D bioprinting. And then we look at it even further into more detailed models. And it, and it becomes quite complex in that we can understand what the process is, but how do we actually understand what the future of it is, you know? So I thought it would be helpful for us to start with just some basic definitions. And that's obviously for those of you who are not 3D printing experts. I thought it'd be worthwhile just to kind of look at a couple of definitions together before we start this podcast. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the podcast. So starting from the beginning, 3D printing offers a highly customizable and efficient way to create complex customized objects with a wide range of applications from manufacturing to healthcare, art and design. So let's look a little bit about, find out about what 3D bioprinting is. So looking at the general process of 3D printing is basically the process of creating three-dimensional objects by building up layers of material one layer at a time. And to create a 3D printed object, 
essentially you start with a digital design file that's created using computer-aided design software and then that design file is loaded onto a 3d printer which uses specialized software to slice the design into multiple layers once that design has been sliced the printer begins building the object up by depositing material layer by layer based on the specifications of the original design. And the material can vary depending on the type of printer used and the desired properties of that final object. And ordinary 3D printing in, in the, the non-wound world would be, you know, using plastics, metals, ceramics, and then in the biological world, world you'd use living cells. So let me tell you a little bit more about biofilms now. Now, I'm sure most of you know about biofilms, but Let's have a short recap, shall we? Uh, biofilms are essentially complex microbial communities. They adhere to surfaces that are commonly found in various natural and man-made environments. And they're composed usually of multiple microbial species. And that makes them difficult to study because, you know, you're, you're dealing with a, a multifactorial etiology and due to their complex structures and behaviours, when there's more than one species, it's very hard to predict or even develop predictive models. Now, where does 3D printing come in to try and get a little bit more information as well where we use animal models and we'll be hearing about that in this podcast too. And generally, 3D printing of biofilms involves using a bioink, a mixture of living cells and extracellular matrix materials to print three-dimensional structures that mimic that natural structure and architecture of biofilms. And you'll you'll hear about how enthusiastic our podcast guests are today about that process. You can you can hear the enthusiasm in their voice. They describe the process as being beautiful. So yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to find out more about this. Uh, it's something probably on a day to day basis that I wouldn't spend too much time reading about. But I think just getting to grips with exactly how it works for me has always been a, a slight mystique about it. And we are interested to hear about the process of creating biofilms and how you can do it in a controlled and reproducible manner and and how that affects how we study biofilm and then ultimately how does that impact on how we treat the patient. So we hope to tie all those loose ends together for you. So for today's session, we are joined by two global experts who have dedicated their professional careers to improving 3D printing. So joining us, we've got Dr. Mitchell Sanders. He's the Chief Scientific Officer of Alira Health. He's based out of Boston, Massachusetts. And we're also joined by Miss Mia Hanna, who's the Project Manager at Alira Health, also based in Boston, Massachusetts. So we're delighted to have um, these two speakers joining us today. So welcome and thanks very much for joining us. Welcome to Wound Masterclass podcast. We've come on to our next episode and we have two fantastic hosts joining us from Boston, Massachusetts. And these two are really outstanding global leaders in 3D printing. And we've got Mia Hanna joining us and we've got Dr. Mitch Sanders. And Mia is essentially a project manager and scientist at Alira Health. And joining her is Dr. Mitch Sanders, who's the Chief Scientific Officer for Wound Care from Alira Health. So very welcome to both of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Delighted. Great to see you. And thank you so much for giving Wound Masterclass the opportunity to publish such a fantastic paper in our December issue. Um, we had such great engagement from our audience. They were really delighted to read about 3D bioprinting 
and the advances that you guys are making. No, thank you. It's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been a long journey. I think Mia's been working on this project for five years. And uh, the reason why we started this program was we had um, uh, pharmaceutical companies and, and big medical device companies coming to us and saying, you know, the the current models that we have in the field, um, they have a lot of inherent problems and they weren't uh, a lot amenable to a high throughput screen because the background was very, very high. So if you take uh, Greg Schultz's uh, pig explant model that everyone uses, um, you know, the, the signal is very high. So there's plenty of beautiful biofilm that you can grow on a little pig explant. The problem is that the standard deviation is almost 20%. And so you end up having to do nine replicates just to get uh, statistically significant and meaningful data. Um, so it's very hard to do a high throughput screen in a 96 or 384 well format uh, because you'd have to use nine plates, replicate plates, just to get the error down. Um, and with a 3D printed biofilm, and this is for the people in the audience, this is a, um, a collagen, a methylacrylated collagen uh, that we use a photo initiator called LAPI, which is a lithophenyl a trimethylbenzoyl uh, phosphate uh, <laughs> reagent. And with UV crosslinking, we can crosslink these little hockey pucks of collagen and print, and Mia prints uh, polymicrobial biofilm. So we usually print Pseudomonas uh, aeruginosa with Staph aureus. And uh, then we can see how that uh, biofilm kind of responds uh, both in vitro and in vivo. And we actually have a poster coming up in a couple of weeks at Yuma uh, where we're showing the in vivo data uh, with the mouse and the, the biofilms are just beautiful. Amazing. And we could kind oh, of wow. walk through some of our new data that you're going to see at a poster in Milan. Um, essentially, what's really cool is you put these little discs, so you make a, a punch biopsy wound in a mouse and uh, we use the delayed diabetic mouse model uh, for these studies. You put the little disc in and within three days, it fully incorporates into the wound and spreads throughout the entire wound. And it persists so much that you can actually debride the wound every time you open up the wound to see the edges of the wound, remove all the uh, of the uh, the biofilm and it comes right back right. <laughs> uh, the next day. And so it's so persistent that we have these, um, I call them beautiful, but they're really disgusting, um, <laughs> deep tissue infected wounds that look just like a human wound. So that the problem in most in, vi in vivo model systems, whether you have a, a pig or a, a diabetic mouse, when you try and do infection models, even though we've been practicing or developing these models for 20 years since I collaborated with J&J &J back in 2000, so that was quite a while ago, um, the infections were never persistent. They were never as beautiful and as incorporated deep into the tissue. And when you do fluorescent imaging with moleculite, you see um, just these beautiful images of these disgusting biofilms. <laughs> and um, the, the cool thing about this model is, and what we've known for a long time, is that many antimicrobial therapies and antibiotics are resistant. Um, the biofilms are resistant to the treatments. And the reason is the biofilm is kind of a deep um, 3D um, biofilm, which the biofilm is quite senescent. The bacteria are sleeping, so they don't 
they're completely resistant to the antibiotics that you try and put into the wound, right? And um, the problem that we've seen with other models is that the infection doesn't persist. So when you do a, a porcine model and you, and you try and get a beautiful infection, you may have an infection for like three days. And by seven days, the pig's trying to clear the infection and just heal the wound as fast as it can. Um, with this new 3D printed uh, biofilm that we put in the wound, the wound not only um, doesn't want to heal. So you take a delayed mouse model that normally takes 21 to 25 days and it'll and the wounds will go want to go even longer. Um, so it'll be 30 days out before this wound wants to heal. The other cool thing is the, the, the bacteria is secreting so much toxins and proteases that the tissue is being damaged. And so you actually have secondary wounds opening up while you're trying to heal the wound that you put oh, in the mouth. Hi, hi, my wound. The, uh, this, you have these secondary wounds starting and you're like, oh my gosh, this is unreal. And it's it's very, it, it, it's a beautiful chronic infection. And I shouldn't, I know that we don't want to, as a scientist, it's beautiful to me. So I apologize. Yeah, as um, a clinician, it's not so beautiful. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Um, so this has been really exciting. So now that we have developed these, this kind of model system, we are working with big pharma and device companies to challenge this model. And before, you know, a lot of the former testing that everyone used to do is this just planktonic free floating bacterial model within looking at, um, uh, minimal inhibitory concentrations and things like that. The problem there is is it's not robust enough. And, 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 you know, some of these planktonic bacteria, you can kill just looking at them with a little bit of chlorhexidine, right? And, but in, in the truth, when you get into these deep tissue infections, they're so much more challenging to eradicate. And so now we're coming up with new combinations of antimicrobials and antibiotics to address something that we really haven't solved yet. Um, so it's been just, just fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> what a journey though in bioprinting. Cause I think, I guess the majority of our audience here are going to be, um, sort of a little bit kind of in the dark in relation to bioprinting and the application to wound care. So I thought perhaps you could just kind of take a journey back to the basics and just talk a little bit about what bioprinting is. Um, obviously, um, you know, happy to have a discussion with both of you on kind of definitions of bioprinting for sure. You know, wounds. So we've been we've been kind of studying biofilm printing for about five years, and we've been looking at three D printing cells and tissues, and like uh, trying to regenerate articulated tissue and form very complex tissue layers. Um, but in addition to that, we've been, uh, you know, we do a lot of work in placental derived tissue and, and, and other cell tissue products. Mm -hmm. And so we've been looking at the best way to make these scaffolds. And we started actually with um, one of Mia's first projects was actually looking at whether we could 3D print uh, alginate dressings with eco-friendly antimicrobials. And so we developed just beautiful meshes and beautiful new materials that could be made. And, and you can get to a resolution of like five microns so that the, the quality of the print and that you can change the matrix uh, dimensions so that it'll be more amenable for cells to kind of infiltrate and start to repopulate the tissue. So you can enhance the ability 
to want to heal a wound and want to have cells, fibroblasts, and keratinocytes migrate into the area by giving them the right substrate. And so that was really the, the first thing that we did was focus on the pattern and the designs. Mm -hmm. um, and then we moved towards, well, shoot, now that we can make dressings on demand, whatever structure we want, can we make a 3D printed biofilm? And that was the idea behind it. But we started with 3D printing alginate dressings and making really cool constructs that we tested in, in vitro and in vivo. And then mm -hmm. that we said, well, shoot, we can print almost anything. Let's try and print biofilms as well. Extraordinary. And I guess for the, the viewer that's listening, because we've got a really good global audience that's been engaging with our podcasts and our uh, master series events, I guess taking it back to the basics with three-dimensional bioprinting, I guess it just, it emerged as a sort of novel technological approach. And it was for engineering complex structures, isn't that right? Trying to take it layer by layer. So through the deposition of those biolinks, but suppose the techniques that you will have evolved in your lab over the last, I guess, even five years, are sort of this, this the bio ink and the bio printing, the, the in, inkjet printing that people sort of refer to. And I guess these techniques that you're using, which um, I guess the bio links are, are mainly these natural materials, would that be right? So it would yeah, be- Yeah, so we're, we, like... you know, we use collagen, but we also 3D print hyaluronic acid and alginates and other materials as well. The goal is to trying to make the tissue as so that it's not a foreign body. And so we start with a collagen. Um, uh, it's a pretty, um, pretty dense collagen network that we print. Mm -hmm. And um, what's interesting is with the bacteria, the bacteria eat, use that as their food source and then form <laughs> in the next two days that collagen disc, it still looks like it's there, but it's all now the PNAG, it's all the the um, the sugary substances that the bacteria are producing, this exopolysaccharide matrix. And so by the time you put it in a mouse three days later, there's no more collagen, the bacteria have eaten all of that and formed their scaffold and taken over the entire structure uh, with their exopolysaccharide matrix, which has DNA and proteins and lipids and it's just a beautiful structure. And these poly, well, the biopolymers that you're using in these applications are these peptides, is that right? The antibiotic substance peptides, antimicrobial peptides? No, so we've been, we've been using everything from off the shelf antibiotics that um, have some pretty good efficacy against gram negative and gram positive bacteria, as well as a number of antimicrobials that are currently on the market and some new ones that we're developing as well. Fantastic. And in terms of the sort of clinical application, what do you, what's, what's your vision in the next sort of few years of bioprinting? What's, what's the sort of clinical application that people are going to be able to utilize? Right. In their I, I think the benefit of, of 3D bioprinting is you can regenerate tissue and you can make a structure look very similar to what it needs to be at the end. So that it could reduce fibrosis, prevent scarring and get faster healing. And in, in the terms of drug delivery, you can tailor the, the delivery of the drugs over time. So the problem with most dressings, when you put an antimicrobial or antibiotic in it, usually there's a huge burst in the first 24 hours, and then it doesn't really persist over you know, the life of the dressing. Let's say your, the wear time is three days or seven days. And what we've been able to do by changing the, the network of the collagen fibers 
in the 3D print, we can slow and tailor the delivery of drugs, which I think is also important as well. Amazing. And so shall we talk a little bit about your paper and just sort of kind of take it back to the basics for our readers and sort of see what the key messages are and sort of what were the key milestones in your in your study? Yeah, I think the first milestone was actually um, seeing that we could get something to work because, you know, and picking the right collagen uh, matrix, uh, the concentration of collagen really matters. And, um, you know, we took a bunch of collagens off the shelf from Cellink, and most of them were too gooey, and we couldn't get a nice matrix. <laughs> and so we had to really kind of pick, and I think we ended up with something called Cellink 200, which is a nice thick uh, collagen that's amenable to print. Yeah. And I think Mia used kind of um, most of the, the, the fluid was this uh, collagen, photocrustline uh, uh, collagen, and then she used like a 10th of a solution of bacteria to mix with the collagen. And then we used this really cool um, Cellink BioX printer um, that allows us to print, what is it, seven layers to make these little disks? These little disks are about seven layers. And what's nice about when you print them, it gets the bacteria truly incorporated in every single level while it's printing. So it's not just right on the top, it's every single layer has this bacteria growing and feeding. So it's really amazing. And the the top picture is actually the fluorescence. We used, just to prove out the model, we used um, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, um, uh, which is expressing a green fluorescent protein. And so that we could see the fluorescence and how uniform it was in the disks and then compare it to Greg Schultz's pig explant model. And you can see that we got um, really nice uniformity. All the disks looked the same. And um, the, one of the problems with Greg Schultz's uh, pig explant model is there's a lot of uh, background, probably due to B subtleist spores. And so mm -hmm. the, the variability can be quite high, okay? And the, the green fluorescence is showing PNAG. So PNAGs is staying the um, glucopolysaccharides that are in the, that are secreted by the bacteria to make a perfect biofilm. And uh, the other point is that when you stain for bacteria and you use uh, what's called a live dead stain, um, and that's shown up above on the right um, in the, on the second page, um, green is good. In other words, that means that that's the bacteria are alive. So there's a lot of living bacteria, but you see this red fluorescence and that red fluorescence is deep in the biofilm. And it's very consistent with the notion that the bacteria deep in a biofilm are sleeping or senescent. And so they're they're not quite dead, but they're almost not living. <laughs> and that's why they can be resistant to antibiotics. Okay. I, and, I guess in terms of the clinical application, that's a really key point, isn't it? Is that accessing that layer to get to that to that senescent layer that you're mentioning um, in order to treat these areas of biofilm and the bacteria within them is that you're down several layers, aren't you? I mean, from what you've shown on your 3D model. Agreed. It's and almost so, inaccessible it's in a little cocoon of its of its own. And literally these disks are a millimeter thick. So the biofilm is very, very dense, okay? And the cool thing is when you look at the disks, um, uh, you know, in vitro, you can you can put them in a, in a microplate, 96 well plate and do a screen. Uh, the cool thing is when you put these little disks in the animal, 
they spread out and form a biofilm across the entire yeah, wound. And then they take over the, the wound um, so much so you can't even tell where the edge of the wound is and you have to scrape it off. Uh, you have to debride it so that you can see it again and it comes right back the next day and then forms this, as I say, beautiful, or not beautiful for a clinician, but beautiful for a scientist, <laughs> deep tissue infection um, that, that looks like a fireball with a moleculite. It's really, really cool. In fact, that would mimic the clinical scenario of having a, a hard to heal wound or a chronic wound as they used to be called, in that you could do the debridement, you see the patient in the next few days, and that area is essentially still the same. So that would be a, a real... A mirroring and you did that in in which animal model you do that in the mouse model we did in a diabetic mouse model and we started testing out a number of um existing uh products that are on the market as well as uh some new formulations that we can't talk about yet um but the That's cool thing was that some of the some of the best products on the market they did sort of okay but not that well <laughs> uh suggesting that we have a long way to go for really developing something that's going to destroy the biofilm. That's outstanding. Yeah. And, and what do you think, you know, I guess your next stages of study would be um, in what, what kind of aspect of this biofilm? So you said here in your uh, discussions and conclusions that obviously this is the, the HDSA assay for mature polymicrobial biofilms, but what right. would you think the next, what's your next aim or mission uh, in this? Yeah, so right now we're actually focused on doing high throughput screens for pharma um, to look at new antimicrobial and antibiotic combinations. They'll be better at destroying the biofilms. And so that's ongoing work that we're probably going to present probably in the, in the fall. Um, in addition to, we, you know, now that we have this kind of uh, profoundly infected mouse model, um, we have a lot of requests to to do these infection models with their best, their latest and greatest biofilm busting compounds to see how they do. Because a lot of people may make, um, it's some companies make claims that they actually have something that destroy biofilms, but the evidence isn't incredible. And most of that evidence is in vitro with a very simple uh, immature biofilm on a glass slide. And it and um, you know trying to destroy these biofilms are very very difficult, and I think that's more real world of what's going on in a chronic wound infection. So I think this will challenge companies to come up with new technologies that are really going to improve the ability to fight off infections in a wound. And it's giving a very um, structured model in order to kind of watch how that behaves, like you mentioned, you know looking at it in terms of timed intervals, looking at what happens one day, two days after the application, the intervention. But can I ask, uh, what made you choose the mouse model for your uh, for this one? Yeah, so the, the nice thing about the diabetic mouse is it's a delayed healing model. And so, you know, a typical mouse, um, a non-diabetic mouse will heal a punch biopsy wound, let's say an eight to 10 millimeter wound, probably in about 15 days. The delayed healing model um, without redox inhibitors usually goes out to 25 days. So it gives you a much longer time frame to look at the infection over time. And as I say, when when you when you um, infect the animal, uh, the little um, punch biopsy wound with these little discs, they incorporate right into the wound and start forming a beautiful biofilm that persists for the entire course of healing and delays healing as well. 
And so it's it's just it's a it's a nice robust model where you can use uh, multiple replicates. We are also going to move this to a porcine model and show that it it'll work as well. It'll hopefully, you know, when you're in a porcine wound, you do a, a partial thickness wound with a dermatome. Um, those typically they heal pretty fast. If you do a full thickness wound it, um, with a dermatome or a punch biopsy in a, in a pig, those are probably going out 25 to 30 days. Um, but the will, wound heal will heal quite fast. The benefit of the diabetic mouse model, so in a, in a regular mouse, it, um, the skin can contract and is very flexible. And so the problem with that type of wound is that you're not looking at re-epithelialization, you're looking at just contraction. contraction of the wound. But when you have these diabetic male mice, they're so fat that the skin's under so much tension um, that it has to grow it has back to in heal. and heal the normal way that you would in a in a, in a human wound, right? Uh, porcine skin's much tighter, kind of like our skin, but the problem with the acute models in a in a pig is that they're they're um they heal so fast. And you try and give them an infection, as they say, by seven days, they're done. They're they've figured a way around it. And with this model, we think that the wounds are going to stay open for quite some time. So it should be a really interesting uh, study when we go into uh, ana into bigger animals, into porcine models this this fall. And in terms of different mechanisms of wounds, would you be looking at per perhaps kind of burn, burn injuries or other sort of mechanisms for creating the wound? Yes. So we, we've been, um, we had kind of a, a burn model that we used to do with at, um, in collaboration with Johnson Johnson Ethicon a long time ago. And we would do like a calcium burn, um, uh, like one molar calcium and rinse that away and do that. But we've also, we'll be looking at uh, conventional kind of glass bottle burn models in, in the pig and then, and then seeding the infection and seeing how that does. So looking at different mechanisms of, of wound creation, within obviously that scope of the way those heal uh, compared yeah, and, to- Yeah, and, and as I say, the after, and I've been doing preclinical models for almost, this is embarrassing, 40 years, but um, <laughs> uh, in those models, usually the infection is, 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 is not as robust as a real infected wound, you know? And so we've always been struggling with how do we, how do we, um, how do we develop something that's closer to what's, what's going on in a patient. And so I think that's where these models are really going to be beneficial for us to understand, you know, a deep tissue infection in a burn patient or, or what have you. Thank you very much to both of you. It's been, you know, really a real honor to have you on Wound Masterclass and congratulations for all this great research that you're doing. It's going to really improve the way that we clinically treat our patients. And obviously our ultimate outcome is to get the best patient outcomes. And uh, we're really grateful to you both for bringing your wealth of experience to us today. We're honored and, and pleased to join and look forward to submitting something in June as well. <laughs> Oh, yes, we'd be delighted to publish for you again. And we're we're really excited to have you on our uh, Global Innovation in Wound Care Summit as well. We're really looking forward to you participating in, in that technology segment. Me as well. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. Okay. And hopefully see you guys in Milan soon. Wonderful. Cheers. Ciao. Bye. I really enjoyed uh, that podcast with Dr. Mitch Sanders and Mia Hannah. 
Uh, it's probably not a topic you, you would immediately want to delve deeper into, but it's it's impacting. 3D printing is impacting hugely in, in the medical field, particularly in wound care. Um, so it's a great time just to hear about this overview of what they think the future of three-dimensional printed biofilm is going to be in wound infection models and also understanding the mechanism of stalling of wound healing and how biofilm removal and tackling that with antimicrobial rinse and dressings and get that getting that customized to work is you know so important delighted that they went into describing that original animal model by dr greg schultz and then also describing you know how they came up with their own animal model that was quite interesting because that's probably for a lot of us, a long time since we were involved with animal models. Really also interesting to hear about the 3D printed biofilm process. And don't forget, you can read their full paper in the December issue of Wound Masterclass. You just need to go to woundmasterclass.com and then click on the issues link and you'll get the December issue there. We're delighted you joined us for this podcast. I know this one was slightly heavy in terms of science, but the next podcast, which will be podcast episode five is going to be a really really interesting one and actually a topic I probably haven't heard that much about in the wound care sphere is that military wounds and their management and not only looking at the acute you know wartime injuries and you know obviously combat battle injuries but also looking at looking after that specific patient group as a wound care clinician, so looking at them under the you know veteran affairs system, what special considerations do they need as patients? And also, how do you optimise their um, overall reconstruction and, and care? I know it's a lot to tackle in a short podcast, but I'm really excited. The two guests are fantastic who are joining us. Um, they're both really experienced in the military field, having worked for the army and and then also obviously spent a lot of their clinical lives looking after the post-war reconstruction injuries. So delighted to to be involved with that one. And, you know, we hope you can join us. So thanks a lot for staying with us. And as always, don't forget to register for all free content on the Wound Masterclass website. We have a Wound Masterclass Innovation Summit, which is a global innovation summit in wound care. And that's going to be a virtual event on the 31st of May. We've got some fantastic global speakers on that and it's a free event. You can register at woundmasterclass.com and then forward slash innovation dash summit or you can just go to our website and you'll see where to click for registration. So hope to see you soon. Take care.